Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today, we're going to talk about a message to America from ISIS, from Syria, Sri Lanka, and Nigeria, a deep dive into climate change in honor of Earth Day today, and the effort to ignore the Mueller report and still talk about impeaching Donald Trump. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. And again, welcome to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis, and welcome to my first five on Deep Dive Monday. I'm going to be talking about Earth Day and climate change most of the rest of the show, but I had to start today by talking about the story many of you likely saw involving the unbelievable brutality of attacks on Christian churches in Sri Lanka yesterday on Easter Sunday. Sri Lanka is a tiny little island country, and they've had civil war going on, but these attacks on Christian churches on the holiest day of the year in the Christian calendar, Easter Sunday, resulted in the deaths of at least 270, 290 people, the injuries to over 500. And there are a lot of lessons for America to learn from this. One is that Sri Lanka actually got notice ahead of time. Notices went out from the uh, government as early as April 4th, letting people know that they had received notice of a threat against Christian churches, specifically against Christian churches. And so the Sri Lankan officials apparently did some looking into it. The uh, in, the uh, group involved there in Sri Lanka, backing up, Sri Lanka, by the way, in case you didn't know anything, because I had to look all this information up, it's only 7.6% Christian, not even 10% Christian, is 9% Muslim, or almost 10, 12% Hindu, and 70% Buddhist. This will be relevant in a moment when I tell you a little bit about what the, um, what the kind of bias in the international reporting has been. So, the heads up given to the threats, the warning given to the Sri Lankan government involved threats by radical Muslims, involved threats by a group in, um, in, uh, in the country of Sri Lanka uh, who have been active in threatening the country. And uh, I'm going to give you the name of that group. I want to say it correctly. The uh, name of the group was the um, National Thwohith Jahama. Sorry, National Thwohith Jamath. And the point is, the agency France Press, the, the French press, gave notice to the island's nation's chief of police, Pujith Jayasundra, at least 10 days ahead of time. They knew they had this possible threat, and yet they had this horrific outcome of 290 people killed, over 500 brutally injured, and these were in Christian churches around the country, and they were in upscale, lovely hotels where people were enjoying Easter weekend having breakfast, uh, presumably mostly uh, Christian targets. Um, and in fact, the um, but what is interesting about how the media has tried to report this around the world, they simply will not connect the dots between the Islamic identity of the perpetrators and the violence. They don't want to say that the violence was committed by Islamic extremists, but that's exactly who did it. And statements from the government are acknowledging that they have people in custody and they're investigating. Second story in this first five on a similar vein involved, uh, we don't even talk about this in this show enough, but in the country of Nigeria, 
there have been so many attacks on Christian churches by two different violent um, Islamic groups, uh, the Boko Haram, which is of course the, the major um, Islamic group there, um, as well as by uh, a particular native tribe group, um, the Fulani tribesmen, slaughtering so many Christians in their homes, burning down churches, destroying entire villages. When you try to Google the question, how many Christians killed in Nigeria by uh, Boko Haram or by radical Muslims, there's just story after story after story after story. The point is there is horrific violence around this world directed at Christians. The last story before I get to my three points I'm gonna tell you in this first five today is this. This was an amazing thing, and I actually didn't read this uh, in mainstream press. I went to, of all things for me, NPR. But NPR, National Public Radio, sent a reporter over to investigate and look into the conditions in a refugee camp that is located in Syria. The refugee camp is filled, 72,000 people, roughly, filled with people who have been forced out of the ISIS caliphate now that the American and other troops have finally accomplished the diminishment and destruction of the land that the radical Muslim ISIS group claimed as their current caliphate. What I'm about to tell you should keep you awake at night. In this camp, there's mostly women and children, women who were living in the ISIS caliphate, women who cover themselves from head to toe to comply with Islamic requirements about wearing the, the, uh, the hijab, women who were living in the caliphate willingly, women who are from birth Muslim, women who committed to be part of the caliphate, to live within the caliphate. As the caliphate was finally destroyed by American troops, these women and children are driven into this refugee camp um, in Syria. The camp is called Al-Hol. Uh, Al it's in the Kurdish majority area of, of Syria. Um, and in this camp, this reporter from the uh, NPR went over there to actually talk to the people directly, talk to the women, ask them what life is like there. She, this young woman named Jane Araf, an NPR reporter, wrote the following description of the interactions she had at that camp with women who lived within the ISIS caliphate. The camp is squalid, it's dirty, it's a mess. They have don't have enough food for the people, so they're upset about that. But the women said things to her, this NPR reporter, like, this is injustice. The idea they've been pushed into a refugee camp. We pray for the caliphate to return. All the women are completely covered in long black cloaks with only a slit open of opening for their eyes. Some even cover their eyes. The women yelled at her being an American, a Western, a person who dresses in Western style dress, yelled at her, convert, convert. And they're yelling at her, demanding that she recite what is the prayer that is a Muslim profession of faith called the Shahada. The Muslim profession of faith Shahada prayer is that they're trying to force this NPR reporter to say, there is no God, no God but God, and Muhammad is his messenger. The women were yelling at, thing, her, at her, saying things like, if you become Muslim and cover like us and become a member of our religion, you would not be killed. They say that everything ISIS did was what God wanted. Let me remind you what ISIS did. The slaughter 
of tens of thousands, perhaps hundreds of thousands of completely innocent people in their bloody quest to take over and create a caliphate within an area of Iraq and Syria. These women are defending what ISIS did in this slaughter of innocents. They, she asked them, well, what about all these beheadings? They behead innocent people. Their answer, of course there were beheadings. Why should I lie? It's based on the Quran and the rules of God. They asked about the slaughter of the Yazidi minority. This Yazidi minority, we read so much about it. They, have, they had uh, the Islamic Caliphate, the ISIS Caliphate, killed, beheaded, tortured, burned to death, thousands of people who were Yazidis, and they captured the women and girls and made them into sex slaves. So this NPR reporter asks these ISIS women in Syria, so what about that? And what about these, uh, Yuz these uh, sex slaves and the thousands of Yazidis killed or captured? The answer of these ISIS women in this, this uh, camp, if they don't convert to Islam and they don't become Muslim like us and worship God, then they deserve it. I want that to sink into you as I turn to my point I want to make in this first five today. The conduct of these women who are quoting the Quran to this reporter, defending ISIS engaging in the jihad, the killing or converting of innocents to create a caliphate where the law of Sharia will apply to everyone. These women were not grateful to escape from that life. They wanted it. They support a caliphate. They support Sharia. They support the killing of, of innocents in the name of pushing and spreading Islamic law. That is what is happening in the, this uh, refugee camp in Syria, reported by, of all things, an NPR reporter. When you compound that with the ongoing slaughter in Africa, in the country of Nigeria, by two different groups of, of people, both driven by Islamic teaching, both driven by what quotes they can, they can tell you from the Quran, both driven by Islamic teaching in Nigeria and in the same in, in Sri Lanka, the groups who are pushing, who, create, who committed the horrific attacks um, on Easter Sunday in Sri Lanka are also relying on the teachings of Islam. And now here are my points, how this relates to you and in America. When President Trump came to office, he talked about keeping America safe. He tried to put in place re uh, refugee policies, executive orders via uh, uh, refugee policies, uh, policies via executive order, essentially saying we're going to heavily, carefully vet the people who are in this country, uh, who want to come to this country. We need to be sure that we don't bring people here who think like these people in Nigeria, Sri Lanka, and Syria. We need to be sure we're bringing people here who do not embrace a violent, uh, who don't embrace, support, or engage in violent conduct on behalf of Islam. President Trump was right to be protecting America. This battle is not over. We have not fixed our refugee policy in Washington, D.C. It will be a battle royale because right now the refugee policy we use involves the United Nations making the decisions of what, which countries take which refugees. We need to be in charge of our refugees in this country. The last point I'll make about this is this. These women telling the NPR reporter that young Yazidi girls deserved to be made into sex slaves because they wouldn't convert to Islam. These women are 
serious. They're earnest. They cannot see the world in any other way. They cannot comprehend the idea of freedom of religion as we celebrate it in America. They cannot contemplate the idea of a nation based on freedom of religion. They cannot conceive of the idea that other people on this planet Earth have the right to live out their lives in freedom, their version of freedom, their version of their faith, their choice of their faith. They are perfectly fine with, in fact, extolling the virtues of the caliphate that killed tens and probably hundreds of thousands of people in the quest to violently impose Islam by force and create a caliphate in the Iraq-Syria area, which has fortunately been destroyed by the, uh, by the American troops. But I want to close my first five today by saying, if you can't figure out from this story that we need in this country to be on high alert about everyone who comes here. If we, we need to get very clear, there are people who think like these women in the ISIS camp in Syria, in Syria, all over the world. There are people who think like that all over the world. They would come to America for nefarious, evil, bloodlust purposes. We need to decide we're strong enough to deal with truth to believe them when they tell you what they believe and decide we're going to have in our country, we're going to have in our country the freedom of religion we all love that is part of the founding ideas of America and recognize there are some people in this world who simply have not and will not ever embrace religious freedom and they have no place in America. They cannot be allowed to be here. Last point in this first five tonight today is there was a great piece by Mark Stein pointing out so much of the media around the world tried to attribute the violence in Sri Lanka, the horrific killing in Nigeria, but mainly he was talking about Sri Lanka, tried to attribute it to people who have nothing to do with it. The violence in, that, that occurred in Sri Lanka on Easter Sunday, the murder of 290 people was committed by people who quoted the Quran, who believe in Islam, who are following the teachings of Islam. That doesn't mean every Muslim in the world does that. It does mean that what they did is okayed by, and in fact encouraged by, the Quran. And we better be in America way on top of the idea that we're not going to have that thinking here. Turning to a new topic for today, after our, that uh, first five, I want to talk about that. It is uh, today is Earth Day. So today, Earth Day, we celebrate it. You know, um, once a year, I guess, is a standard. It's April twenty second. Um, this is the forty ninth celebration of Earth Day, and I wanted to start the conversation of Earth Day with two quick stories, and then get into what we should talk about about Earth Day. Uh, one story is that you may have recalled uh, after the twenty sixteen elections were over. And the Democrat National Committee and volunteers figured out that Hillary Clinton actually lost the election. She was not going to be president. There was a meeting inside the DNC, and that meeting inside the DNC involved Donna Brazile. And she was at that time, I think she was the acting head of the DNC because the Democrats had figured out that Debbie Wasserman Schultz had been trying to throw the election for Hillary as, 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 uh, as against Bernie Sanders. So Donna Brazile is having a staff meeting with the volunteers and the staff of the DNC. 
a staffer interrupted her in this meeting to set to berate her over the loss of the election to essentially berate her and say you know how how could you lose this it's so important we had to win blah blah we didn't win you know it's terrible so he was on and on about this but he actually and this by the way was reported on huffington post this is not a conservative making up this story this was reported in huffington post this staffer was so out of his mind yelling at Donna Brazile during this kind of post-election meeting, he said to her, you, Donna Brazile, will die of old age. I'm going to die from climate change. Similar story, there was a story that uh, was recounted in, a, in an online piece about a guy who, um, some, somebody had knocked at his front door saying hi, we're collecting signatures, trying to get signatures for people who, um, to support you know, some climate change thing, and he said, no, thank you. And she said, why don't you want to sign my petition? And he said, well, because I don't really, I'm not concerned about, you know, anthropogenic, uh, I'm, you know, about man-made climate change. And this person dissolved in tears on this guy's front porch because she earnestly thinks that climate change is going to kill her and, and everyone, if we don't do something in 10 to 12 years. She has no other conception of reality than that. She has the conception of reality she's learned in schools so she thinks there truly is no other you know, possibility, unless we do something radical, than, uh, that otherwise we'll have climate change will kill us all. Now I want to play a brief clip by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the uh, main pusher behind the Green New Deal, which is a radical, radical environmental bill, even more so a radical socialist bill. I'll quick play her clip, and then we'll talk about climate change. And we're like, the world is going to end in 12 years if we don't address climate change. And your biggest issue is your your biggest issue is how are we going to pay for it? And like this is the war. This is our World War II. I think that the part of it that is generational is that millennials and people and you know Gen Z and all these folks that come after us are looking up and we're like, the world is gonna end in 12 years if we don't address climate change. And your biggest issue is, your, your biggest issue is how are we gonna pay for it? And like, this is the war, this is our World War II. And- Okay, so she goes on and on. The first point I wanna make is this. We need in this country to continue to try to have a commitment to seek truth, to understand truth, and to spread truth with respect to the climate. We cannot simply, as the guy at the front door did to the person who knocked and said, we please sign this petition, say, no, nah, I don't believe in that stuff. That is not going to persuade the true believers like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Maybe nothing will, but we have to be on the side of sanity, those who recognize that there, there are heavy, heavy, deep, earnest flaws, serious shortcomings in the climate change alarmism that is engulfed the American left. We need to be able to talk about it in intelligent terms. I'm going to start with one right now. I have a bunch of things to try to get through today uh, about climate change. And I urge you, if you have conversations with people about climate change, you can go to the articles I'm going to talk about from here today. You can go to my website, americacanwetalk.org, and on the home page, go under shows, go down, list of links, and you can find the list of links of things I'm talking about. One is there is a climate 
PhD, like an actual person who's informed, who doesn't say like every third word. This gentleman uh, wrote a piece. His name is, he's an Indian. He has an Indian name, Vijay Jayaraj. And he is a, um, in, he teaches environmental science at the University of East Anglia in England. He wrote a piece just a few weeks ago and posted it. Uh, it's called Global Cooling, the Real Climate Threat. And he talked about the idea, two important points I want to make from here maybe three, from his, his article. My first point is, it matters to listen to actual experts, not to young people who've become hypnotized, blindsided, uh, brainwashed, and cannot have a conversation about the actual facts. It matters to listen to experts. And we're going to get in a moment to the 97% of environmental um, people, you know, environmental climatologists agree with this because that is a false statistic or you know, a fake statistic. It's a hoax. But on this first thing, let me just tell you with this guy who is an actually prominent and current professor of climatology in England. He talks about, as a, he, he's frustrated with the fact that there's so much discussion in the media um, as a climate um, scientist about just the level of CO2. As though CO2 is the is the you know make or break the live or die uh, question relating to climate change. He said CO2 is just one of many factors that influence global temperatures. Its role in recent warming is far from dominant. There is in fact a poor correlation between CO2 emissions and global temperatures. He talked about between 2000, the year 2000, and the year 2018, so just last year, global temperatures showed no significant increase despite a steep increase in carbon dioxide emissions. Said the same was true for the period 1940 to 1970. He also pointed out that the, the actual website for NASA, America's NASA, used to have on his homepage beginning discussion about climate change, the profound importance of the place of the sun, the sun's activity in creating Earth's climate. And and you'll get, I'll get to the point in a moment, well, I'll actually say it now. The people who are actual experts are talking about the fact because of the sunspot activity, um, lack of sunspots on our sun, we are headed toward a period of global cooling. That lack of sunspots on the sun leads to global cooling. So he, back to this article, made the point that NASA, and these are his words, in recent times, Instead of having a homepage that explained the role of the sun, NASA has succumbed to pressure from climate doomsday proponents. NASA's original page on the sun's impact on our climate system is now hidden from the public domain. Why would you hide that if you're NASA, except that you put it, you put, you've given into pressure by the radical climatologists the radical climate uh, extremists, the climate alarmists, whatever term you want to use for them, who spend all their time trying to make the world afraid of CO2, afraid of fossil fuels. He goes on to explain that even NASA scientists are now having to admit we're probably heading toward a cooling period because of lack of sunspot activity. Next thing to keep in mind on climate change is one of the, he wasn't actually the original co-founder, but early founder, early activist in the Greenpeace, the radical environmentalist group that's endlessly talking about climate change, Patrick Moore, who's been on my show before, uh, he was very good, but he talks about, you know, 
you hear that story, like an actual climatologist saying, you know, we, we have not had any significant temperature increase in 18 years. The sun is the main problem. He's saying this, this climatologist is saying this. Well, you could say, well, then, well, why do we keep hearing that so many people who are experts are claiming we are facing catastrophic, uh, you know, damage to the earth, uh, the earth will end, the oceans will end, the earth will die in 12 years due to climate change. Why are we hearing this if the scientists don't support that? Well, Patrick Moore did an interview recently uh, where he talked about, and the term, the correct term is anthropogenic global warming, man-caused, caused by man's activity, global warming. He's a former president of Greenpeace Canada, and he says, fear, this is his quote, fear has been used all through history to gain control of people's minds and wallets and all else. The climate catastrophe is strictly a fear campaign. This is a guy who knows what he's talking about, obviously cares about the environment. That's why he got involved with Greenpeace. And he's saying the climate catastrophe being predicted by the left, by the AOCs and all the other people claiming the earth's going to end in 12 years is a f intentional fear-mongering fear campaign. He says the green movement creates stories that instill fear in the public and the media echo chamber repeats it over and over and over again to everybody. And I know the question you'll have, my friends, is why? Why would the media, why would academia, why would all these people push climate change as a serious threat unless it really was? So what other reason do they have? And his answer was one you have to really think about. And I've read a lot about this, so I can tell you, it, it's, he's right on. He talks about because the people pushing this are hooked on government grants. There was a professor, I think it was Syracuse University, one of the major universities in America, who wrote about if you want to get a government grant these days in anything in the science arena, and frankly, even other arenas, if you don't buy in to climate change, you won't get the grant. You won't get federal dollars. You can't do your research. So Patrick Moore, one of the original founders of Greenpeace, saying it's not a catastrophe. There's not a big threat. We're not facing doomsday. And it is a climate of fear created by people who rely on government grants. There's a lot of data behind that. I can't go through it all in this very short podcast. But I'm trying to lay out for you points to say, if you really love the earth and the climate, which let's be clear, who doesn't? We only have one earth. We all love the earth. We all want clean air. We all want clean water. We all want a safe environment. We all want good practices done by industries of disposing of waste. And we all want the oceans cleaned up. Everyone has the same agenda. But you have to recognize the agenda of the American left, those who push, who want, desperately want big government, radical government controlled society, want socialism, have latched on to the environmental cause as one that will cause the American people to surrender control to the government. Because too many people say, well, I'm not a climatologist. I don't understand. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I, I should just go give in and listen to these people. Maybe, maybe what, what they're saying is right. People are afraid to stand up to this climate extremism and this climate alarmism because they feel like they don't know. And then they get told things like this. Barack Obama tweeted out, and then everyone in the world tweeted out, that 97% of scientists, of climatologists in this world agree 
that man-caused global warming is an impending disaster. He said there's 97% consensus, but that was a fallacious, false hoax number from the start. I'm going to tell you why. The statistic first appeared back in 2009 in a University of Illinois master's student, Kendall Zimmerman, her advisor, Peter Duran. This statistic of 97% of climatologists agree, which is thrown around everywhere, is thrown around to shut down conversation about climate policy, shut down people who think maybe you guys are trying to push socialism, you know, you're just using the uh, climate argument. That data point, or that non-data point, that was thrown into a master's thesis came as a result of a, an online survey this, this, uh, this person pursuing a master's did of two questions, two questions in an online survey, and they concluded from that two question thing that um, that 97% of people who were uh, in response, 97% uh, of climatologists agree that climate change caused by man is an is a impending disaster. The facts, for one thing, even all of the people who responded to their online two question survey, only 5% of them were scientists. Only 5% um, were, were climate scientists. So most of them don't even know anything about the climatology. These are people who just answered an online survey, like if you did, or if AOC did, or if any person did. Second, it was drawn from an even smaller subset than that. The 79 respondents, who were both self-reported climate scientists and had published more than 50% of their recent peer-reviewed papers on the subject of climate change, those 77, uh, it was only those 77, so it's, I can't get down to, I can't do the numbers fast enough. The point is, it, it's a bogus number. And I'm not gonna keep reading this paper. A bogus number. If you go to my website, you can read this whole paper. The 97, there's never been a survey of actual climatologists who've agreed that non, and had an outcome that 97% agree that man, that man caused disastrous global climate change it is a pending disaster, but, they used it, they used that statistic to frighten people into not arguing with the left's agenda. Another point on the left's agenda. Back in the 1970s, when this whole climate change thing got started, when, I'm sorry, when Earth Day got started, Earth Day is actually 49 years old today, so 70 years ago, uh, excuse me, uh, 49 years ago it started. They actually had, at that time, and all the way up until 1989, so they have Earth Day starting 1970, all the way up to 1989, the major argument was that the Earth was facing global cooling due to CO2 levels or whatever the argument was. It was due to CO2 levels. There was a book, Our Changing Weather Forecast of Disaster. The back cover observes that the northern hemisphere temperatures have been falling steadily since the 1940s. Glaciers are advancing. Scientists no longer the debate, no longer debate the coming of a new ice age. That was as recent as 1989. So you had the climate movement just, just filled with people claiming with certainty something they're now trying to back away from, although now they're coming back around to that. And I, I just want to hit a few other points on this climate change thing, folks, because the climate change argument, or it was global warming until the temperatures didn't go up for a decade, for almost two decades. And then, in fact, it was two decades. The average Earth temperature didn't rise. So the climate climate alarmist advocates had to change their tunes. It's not really global warming. It's climate change. It's just any change. As you know, as many people pointed out, no matter what the weather does, climate 
enthusiasts, climate uh, you know, alarmists, point to the weather, hot, cold, rain, dry, it all proves their theory, meaning they don't really have a theory. They just have a point of view they want to insist that you embrace. I want to mention two other things that there are just, there are mountains of examples of things that never came true that the climate uh, uh, enthusiasts, the climate alarmists uh, predicted. And when their predictions don't come true, they adjust them, they hide them, they take them down. I'm not going to go into today, but one aspect of this is that when the, the climatologists started making all these predictions, they're of course using computer models. So they have models and they'll have you know, lines and lines and, you know, and trying to make the arguments, look what the models are telling us. Well, the models were predicting extreme climate change, temperature change, which wasn't happening more than once. In fact, it was in the dozens of times the people measuring climate go back and change the earlier numbers to make them lower to make the argument that there would be that that what you're seeing today is actually represents a bigger change in climate than was true. But here's one specific example of climatologists manipulating data or hiding things because what they predict does not come true. In 2005, the United Nations Environment Program (UNEP). And this is another, you talk about all the crazy things a climatologist warn will happen. One is we're going to have low-income nations flooded. We're going to have all these areas flooded. We're going to have climate refugees. We're going to have to house millions of climate refugees. 2005, the United Nations Environment Program used the expression climate refugees. They had a map up in the world of low-lying Pacific islands, coastal areas, predictions that by, this is in 2005, Predictions that by 2010, there'd be some 50 million climate refugees frantically fleeing as the oceans are rising and consuming where they live. How many climate refugees do you think we've had in the world? Okay, we're in 2019, so now we're way past 2010. We're in 2019, 14 years after this 2005 prediction. Zero, zip, nada, none. But climate refugees, another example of manipulating instilling fear in people, manipulating people, causing people to say, well, my gosh, you know, if, if that's going to happen, we have to, and that what always involves is we have to uh, give more money to the United Nations, allow them to redistribute wealth, which I'll get to in a moment. Two last things um, on the climate predictions just failing to uh, ever come true. And then I want to hit and tell you what the arguments have been um, that are actually used when the doors are closed to advocate pushing climate change. One, there ha but back to the two last kind of alarm bell things. Constant talk about the polar bears. That we're going to run out of polar bears. They're going to run out of land. They're going to die because with the uh, the glaciers are melting. And as, in, as there was a, a book again written recently, the polar bear catastrophe that never happened. The actual polar bear population is far bigger uh, than ever was predicted to be, um, up uh, to around 40,000 at least from a low point in the 1960s. The polar bears are thriving, as are the glaciers. The most massive glacier in Greenland, the Jaco. I'm sorry, Jaco Bashavan glacier, however you say it, by climatologists, the most important glacier going to be melting when everyone's going to, every terrible thing is going to happen, growing and growing and growing. Climate scientists can't really understand that. Last thing, there have been many statements on the record by alleged climate experts affiliated with the United Nations who have admitted, flat out, open mic said it, that the purpose of the United Nations environmental programs is to find a way 
to redistribute wealth, to take wealth away from industrial countries, mostly from America, and give it to less developed countries under the guise, the law, I mean the guise, the hoax, the lie of climate change is going to hurt lower income countries somehow more. It's, it's going to do worse things to these climate refugees. And these people actually have admitted it. I've read these quotes in the show before, so I'm not going to do it again, I guess, today. But Christiana Figueres, Executive Secretary of the UN's Framework Convention on Climate Change, basically said the purpose of climate change activity is to change economic development. Same thing was acknowledged by um, Otmar Edenhofer, United Nations climate official, basically said flat out the whole entire purpose is to do uh, to, to redistribute wealth in this world. So I want to close this section on the climate change thing to say this. We have to be armed with facts in order to push back against the AOCs of the world, the girl crying in the front door of some guy's porch because he didn't want to sign her climate change petition because many people have been brainwashed to the point of paralyzing fear over climate change. The facts I read you today, there are so many sources you can go to. Learn some, spread them, tell your friends. There is not an impending climate change disaster in this world. There just simply is not. There are a lot of people who benefit from it, people who get grant money because they keep pushing it, and people who, um, uh, people whose uh, reputations, professional reputations are staked on it, and they have built their careers around pushing this, acknowledging now that actually the science doesn't bear out the predictions they made years ago, is just not going to happen. It's in, and the thing is, I'll tell you folks, what the left is pushing to solve climate change, like the Green New Deal is the biggest thing in America right now, you know, on that line, that it is, the Green New Deal has about, you know, a 10% maybe to do with climate change. And it, it's a massive socialistic takeover of America under the guise of protecting us from impending climate change disaster. It is a power grab that, and we can't fight back against it unless we can talk in intelligent terms about the climate change hoax that has been perpetrated on the world. Last topic for today. I want to just turn briefly and talk about today uh, there is talk in Washington about the uh, Mueller report. We're going to probably, we're not done talking about it. I know the Mueller report came out. He completely exonerated President Trump. But we still have people in Washington talking, talking about the idea that President Trump should be impeached. Even one of the Democrat candidates for president, Elizabeth Warren, or otherwise known as Pocahontas, Focahontas, from Massachusetts, after the Mueller report came out and made perfectly clear that Trump did not collude with the Russians, the Russians tried to penetrate the Trump campaign and were rebuffed by the Trump people. You know, that's in the Mueller report. And yet she still wants to, she said, it's time for impeachment. She's actually calling for impeachment. Now, she is understandable a little bit from her because she's so low in the polls. She's got to do something to gather, to get a little bit of steam. She's got to do something to signal the radical leftists and the Democrat primary voting base that they want that, you know, she's on their team. She's with the impeachment crowd. But I'm raising this today because... The left has not dropped the impeachment argument. They haven't even dropped the idea that even though Mueller found there was no collusion, that somehow President Trump's efforts to push back against this hoax being perpetrated against him, somehow during the time he was pummeled with lies 
by accusations by the mainstream media all over Washington, D.C., by the American left, by people in the FBI, Department of Justice. He's pummeled with false accusations, investigated for something when he had done nothing wrong, and he was actually getting mad about it. He was actually thinking of ways to point out that he was not happy. He was talking to his staff about saying, you know, this is crazy. None of this happened. Those things, the most logical actions of an innocent man, the most logical reactions of an innocent man are now being propped up by the left as evidence of an attempt to obstruct justice. That is what the, uh, you know, Senator Warren, candidate Warren is talking about, well, he talked a little bit about maybe he wouldn't, you know, he didn't like very much being investigated. Folks, who would? You think about if you're investigated, you're accused of robbing a bank or some other thing you never did, and it's in the papers every day, all day. Everyone you've ever known since second grade is being put under oath and deposed and questioned, and you have the strong arm tactics of the Mueller team, the perjury trap stuff going on. Yeah, you're gonna get tired of it. But I'm telling you, it's one thing for, for Elizabeth Warren to do that. It is quite another for the allegedly Republican senator from the state of Utah, you know who I'm talking about, the former candidate for president who just simply could not keep his mouth shut. Mitt Romney weighed in in the most disgusting, petulant, ignorant manner possible. I don't even want to play, and you know, I was going to play his, I'm not even going to play his stupid clip. This is a guy who could not garner the votes to take out a socialist president in this country because he didn't have the courage to stand up for anything. He couldn't stand up against President Obama in his presidential run against him, but somehow he's finding himself manly enough to stand up against President Trump, never pointing out Nothing in what Mitt Romney has been tweeting and blathering about has he pointed out how egregious the conduct of the American left was throughout this entire Mueller investigation. No words out of Mitt Romney's mouth like, it was pretty bad the FBI let Hillary uh, use an unsecured server and risk uh, national security secrets the entire time she was Secretary of State. Don't really think it was a great idea somehow that the DOJ was in the middle of exonerating her. In fact, kind of announced her exoneration before the FBI announced her exoneration before the DOJ even got the, the news or got, got the case. The conduct of this investigation premised on the Russian dossier, which was just a campaign hit piece paid for by Hillary and the DNC, that those dossiers used to get search warrants from the FISA court, the FISA court and the entire DOJ spying on the President Trump's campaign and then his, his presidency, that didn't seem to bother Mitt Romney. That was okay, but by golly, Somebody in the Trump team was aware that the Russians might have wanted to talk to him and they didn't run to the authorities and report it. Mitt Romney has no idea what time it is in America. He has no idea the depth and the importance of the scandal represented by this Russiagate dossier gate, whatever you want to call it. He has no conception of how serious it is. The worst thing he can point to, the most egregious thing he can point to, was whether or not maybe someone in the Trump team should have maybe called someone to say, hey, the Russians are lurking on the edge, but we're not cooperating with them. Mitt Romney, I haven't helped us if he is considering another run for president. He has no clue what time it is in America. And now, my friends, 
for the last and favorite part of my show, I want to turn to our very quick slides to tell you why it matters, why the stories we talked about today matter to you. And I'm telling why I tell you these things is I hope you will share these. I hope you'll tell your friends. I hope you'll think about them. The Sri Lanka's Christian massacre, the serious ISIS message, why they matter to you. It was not, as the media tried to report, some random unknown source. It was Islamic violence against Christians on Easter done by those following the instructions of the Quran, not perverting them following the Quran. Contrast the media's, I didn't get to this, contrast the media and the left's reaction to the Christ Church um, assault, the uh, killing of innocent Muslims in the mosques in New Zealand. You would have thought that was a story of the century. I think it was 50 people. All violence is bad, but the astonishing overreaction in the world to 50 people killed uh, in two mosques in New Zealand contrasted with hundreds killed in Sri Lanka. Hundreds and thousands killed by ISIS, hundreds killed in Nigeria. But the media is only going to tell you about the, the, uh, you know, the horrible instance in the Christ Church. And when ISIS women tell you what exactly they think the Quran means, they tell you that Islam commands them to go ahead and treat Yazidi girls as sex slaves and they deserve it. We need to understand they are telling you what they think Islam is. The Islamic threat to America is not about extremism. It's about a theology that cannot be reconciled with America's Bill of Rights. Next slide, please. On Earth Day, environmental policies and why they matter to you. The left's goal, proven by the Green New Deal, is total government control of the masses, destroy America's culture of liberty, our bustling free market economy. The 97% consensus and the 12 years left is vapid nonsense. There's nothing close to scientific certainty or even consensus on either of those ridiculous positions. And the fact that the left-wing climate alarmists have to manipulate data to prove their point tells you that their climate studies are full of dishonesty. So if any politician tells you to give up your liberty, to fight for some ne- against some nebulous enemy like climate change, look for their real reason. It's control over you. Last slide, very quickly, impeaching President Trump. This will go on, I'm afraid, until the day before the 2020 uh, presidential elections. But the American left is stuck. They are like a trapped animal. They promised their base, their lathering, uninformed base, that there is going to be some basis to impeach President Trump, and they don't have it, and they know it. The lie of the Russian collusion and the fraud of the Mueller investigation, it has been exposed. The reality of the deep state and the DNC collusion against Trump is obvious, and the demand for accountability is rising exponentially. Calling for the impeachment of Trump in these circumstances is morally deranged. Americans not only need to reject the DNC's moral bankruptcy emphatically now and in 2020, and starting today, you need to tell your member of Congress that you do not see any, there is no basis for impeaching for President Trump. There's no basis for even talking about it anymore. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. This is America Can We Talk. Come back every Monday through Thursday, 3 p.m. Central. Thanks so very much to Matt Stoker, my amazing producer. Talk to you tomorrow. Can We Talk? Truth About America.